Welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. I hope your summer is going unbelievable. Mine is going well. I'm making a lot of money this summer so far because people are paying me to keep my shirt on. Get five bucks at the pool. Sir, keep your shirt on. You're going to ruin it for the whole family. I'm like, all right, fine. But it's good. Because at this pace, I'll be a millionaire by the end of the summer. I'm going to take all of you to Tahiti. I want to let you know that. <laughs> I don't know how to make a transition from that. Our focus of attention today is going to be about facing the dragon within, processing the human shadow. And what is that? That is looking at your darker half, coming to terms with it, and embracing it. So what is your darker half? It's that part of you that you're probably ashamed of. It's that side of you that you have a little bit of disdain for. It's those qualities that you're not happy that you have. The thing is that it's all part of you. Sometimes if you repress your shadow, you may do something called projection, which means that you're probably going to be inclined to yell at someone or get upset with somebody who has qualities of the parts of yourself that you disdain. I'll give you an example. Earlier in my life, I used to get very upset with people who would come up to me and try to do any kind of religious preaching because that was who I was at one point and I couldn't stand that part of me. I was very upset the fact that I got, got pulled into that. So as I got to greater terms with who I was, I just became more accepting of other people. I still can't stand people who harm animals, but it has nothing to do with my shadow. That's just my perspective in general. But... Another part of the shadow is something I like to call the elasticity of truth. If you present yourself in public as being one way and you know deep in your core you're something completely different, there are two forces that are kind of grinding at each other. So hypothetically speaking, you say that, oh, I secretly, I love humanity, humanity is great, and Deep inside, you know you can't stand it. And you've got those two forces working at each other. Eventually, they're going to break. And you're going to have a lot of contradictions. And I think that's part of the shadow as well. Long story short, if you work on processing your shadow, if you really take the time, the initiative to do that, you could be pulling into your experience a lot of wonderful things. You could do a lot of incredible self-healing upon yourself. So I'm really thrilled about today because we are going to take a psychological approach and a metaphysical approach. We've got three excellent guests. I really hope this brings you some love and light and peace. You absolutely deserve it. And again, if you have the shadow aspect of who you are and it's not processed, it's just energy that's you know that you're fighting against. And once you pull into that, once you resolve that and you make peace with your shadow, you pull it back into you, it's incredible how much more energy you could potentially free up for you. Let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Dr. James Hollis, Executive Director of the New Society of Washington and author of 14 books, including Hauntings. Dr. Hollis, welcome to the program, and can you please share with us your perspectives on why it's important and imperative for each individual to confront the shadow aspects about themselves? Well, what Jung called the shadow 
are those aspects of ourselves and of our organizations which when brought into conscious awareness we find troubling about ourselves maybe contradictory to our values or perhaps um, threatening to us because they ask something of us that uh, seems intimidating or larger than that of which we're, we're capable. Now, if we think of ourselves as carrying on the human project, then it's fair to say everything that's part of human nature is, of course, part of me. You know, why would I think that I'm exempt from the human project? Possibly the wisest thing ever said about human nature was uttered over 2,000 years ago by the Latin playwright uh, Terence, who said, nothing human is alien to me. So um, I'm, I'm capable of goodness, I'm capable of evil, uh, I'm capable of jealousy, I'm capable of violence, and I'm capable of um, acts of goodness and sacrifice. And so uh, while the human ego likes to think of itself as the, uh, the boss, you know, in charge, conscious at all times, making proper choices, um, a good part of the time, it's uh, actually operating in service to other agendas, um, unconscious motives, um, old old agendas and uh, complexes, and often plays out in service to motives that, again, when brought to consciousness, are, are less than uh, we might want to serve as our conscious values. And that's where okay. we begin to confront our shadow. Now, when these motives, these things that you just brought up, are they motives that are served on a collective level? Are these um, uh, these servitudes? Are they of societal engagements? Are they of individual? Um, both, you know? both. You okay. see, every organization has its shadow too. Nations has its shadow. You know, for example, uh, America has often wanted to cast itself as the good guy in history, and yet, you know, the rest of the world looks at us as having a very large shadow. You know, we've intervened and. Um, Democratic elected governments for for two centuries now. Uh, the the historic record is clear. Um, we destroyed indigenous populations. We're pretty busy destroying the planet. We enslaved um, uh, indigenous populations, uh, in, imported slavery, um, and have imposed our values on many. So it's kind of hard to say that we are not, you know, implicated in uh, the capacity for for evil. So um, in every organization, whether it's a religious organization, a political organization, uh, you know, a, a socioeconomic organization, um, an educational organization, there, there's always the shadow of power. There's the shadow of uh, uh, opposition to others. There's splitting that goes on in groups and so forth. So, you know, the organizations are composed of people. The larger the group, it's been argued, the, the lower the level of consciousness. And uh, nations, therefore, are, are, you know, individuals writ large. They are individuals magnified, and therefore national consciousness is often, you know, easily swayed by mood states, uh, war fever, fads and fashions, and, of course, fears and so forth. And in times of say, economic hardship or, or substantial changes in the social structure, such as we see in our nation today, there, there are enormous uh, anxieties generated. And, and with that, you know, extreme reactions, uh, sometimes violent reactions, and, and so forth. So the shadow is both personal and it's collective at the same time. Okay. This is a multi-part question. This, we're going to focus on America, but this will apply to other countries. First of all, when it comes to America, it's in America has a shadow. Mm -hmm. What are the prolonged 
symptoms of, of America ignoring the shadow, what can America do to actually confront the shadow? Will a, an event have to occur in America externally in order to provoke the citizens to confront the shadow? And what happens when Americans itself actually confronts the shadow and brings peace to this darkness? Well, you know, we have long ignored our shadow. And again, the first thing we can do to begin to become aware of it is to honestly and sincerely ask people of other cultures, how do you experience us? And if we're genuinely sincere about this and they feel safe in responding, they'll begin to tell us about how they, they find us ignorant many times. They find us rolling over their own customs and traditions. Uh, they find us um, expecting uh, things of them that are inappropriate. We f they find us arrogant. They often find us expecting them all to know English, yet we don't make efforts to learn their language and practices and so forth. And uh, on top of that, you know, we've often imposed our cultural values and our socioeconomic systems and so forth. So it's not to mention from time to time uh, occupied parts of their nation. So it's sort of hard to imagine why um, everybody on the planet doesn't uh, automatically worship us. You know, people have obviously uh, appreciated our technology, our music, our, our films, and, and many of our cultural gifts to the world, of course. And, but along with that has been often a kind of a kind of moral blindness that that says simply bigger and it does not necessarily mean better, and and so that kind of moral insensitivity has has led to hard feelings in in so many different parts of the world. You know, after 9/11, when people ask the question, why do they hate us? You know, well, you can start by asking uh, people sincerely. And, and why has that kind of level of animosity been generated, after all? And there are actually some good reasons, if you, if you pay attention, and people will try to tell you. But, uh, frankly, people don't want to hear that. You know, America's number one. You know, get a big uh, finger and number one and, and wave it in the crowd and get enough people together. And, you know, we're supposed to believe that. But uh, it rings pretty hollow over, over, the, over the annals of history. Well, when it comes to America... What are the detriments of ignoring the shadow? So what are people in America will say, well, look, yeah, you know, we are this way and we are who we are. And what does it matter to the rest of the world? You know, we're, we're big, we're powerful, and we can do whatever we want. What does it matter if the, the rest of the world perceives America this particular way? Well, you know, that, that's called arrogance. And arrogance mm -hmm. is always in the long run its own worst enemy. Arrogance okay. is always despised. Um, you know, the best way to influence people is to truly be admired, uh, to be emulated. You know, as I said, people enjoy our technology, many aspects of our culture, but they don't necessarily want to be like Americans. You know, they don't necessarily want to Im import our values to, to their world. Their values work for them. And, and so it's our casual assumption that our values are superior that they find most offensive. And how do I know? Because I've lived in foreign countries. I've traveled in foreign countries. I've asked people these questions. I'm not making this up. And, and therefore, you know, I, I, I've listened to people, and they have respectfully uh, have a great admiration for the United States and for individual Americans. It's a kind of um, sort of collective mentality that they run into Americans that's based largely on ignorance and largely on arrogance. And you put arrogance and ignorance together, and you have a very dangerous mix. 
and that mix has shown up in foreign policy and it's shown up shown up in in our tourism and shown up in our our business practices many times now was this shadow that you're seeing right now that you're observing is this something that's always been a part of America or is this something that just escalated or grown um, a lot in the last uh, you know 20 years and if so why why is this shadow perpetually well, growing I, I think it's it's been there and and to a certain degree there had to be a kind of expansion or expansionary sensibility in in this culture um, in order to conquer the the continent so to speak but of course to do that uh, again required taking land from people who were there first who theoretically had first claim to it you know, I was amused recently at someone occupying federal land and saying they were taking their land back. Well, it wasn't their land. It belonged to other people in the first place. Um, you know, that's typical of the kind of arrogance and, and ignorance that uh, you, you see here. Um, what, what in, in effect, is, uh, has escalated really since World War II is the, you know, America survived the, the, the great wars of the 20th century less damaged and in a better economic position than any other country. So it was able to wield its power, and in many ways to, to, to good effect, as through the Marshall Plan and so forth and the Peace Corps. Those were very effective ways of, of trying to help nations recover economically and, and spread democratic values, and they were greatly appreciated. And at the same time, um, these these uh, same successes often again led to to uh, you know arrogant attitudes. So I think it has escalated. And and again, wherever you have arrogance and ignorance, uh, you're going to build resentment in people. And so people do respect the United States, but they also at times don't like us very much. And um, I, I know we can't always be liked, but on the other hand, and that's not the, that's not the goal necessarily. But I also don't want to be in some way um, despised, that, and, and sometimes we are despised. Well, this is going to lead to a transition question, which is going to go back to the individual, and in that what are the – what is the end game consequence if a nation or an individual fails to process the darkness from within? If they fail – to address it, what ultimately happens? Well, what I'm ignoring within myself or within my my nation always is spilling into the world. You know, Jung said once, um, the greatest burden the child must bear is the unlived life of the parent. That is to say, wherever the parent is unconscious or is stuck, the child is going to be unconscious or stuck or have to spend its life trying to compensate and get away from that. And so it is on a collective level, too. Whatever is unconscious keeps spilling into the world, you know, through that unconsciousness. And, you know, things repressed don't go away. They, they just enter the world surreptitiously. So, you know, the, the, the best thing I can do for, for my partnership, for my society, is clean up my own backyard, be accountable for my own jealousy, for my own in, in, inadequacies, be accountable for for my uh, insecurities, uh, not ask somebody to take care of something I really need to address myself. And as I do that, I'm addressing my own shadow. And where I fail to do that, I'm, I'm tending to dump it on somebody else. And, you know, that's a kind of, of moral uh, sort of uh, flight from accountability. So, okay. you know, again, the best thing I can do for a relationship, whether it's, it's individual or collective, it's what I bring to the society, is in a sense how I clean up the world around me as well. 
because that's the person I bring to the, the voting booth. That's the person I bring to committees. That's the person I bring to my society. So, you know, a society is a sum of individuals, of course. And uh, the democratic experiment is still the best on the planet. And it can be no more evolved than the level of consciousness and the level of personal accountability for each person. And when you stop and think about that, you realize democracy is always imperiled by people being unconscious of not uh, working on their own shadow, always choosing an easy path, easily swayed by the moods of the moment or the demagogue of the moment. And then you realize, you know, democracy is, is not something you have once and for all. You have to recover it in every generation by having, you know, sober-minded, thoughtful, conscious citizens who exercise some, some rational approach to sorting through the enormous traffic that we're all exposed to in any given moment, both inside and outside, and to try to sort through and, and, and to figure out what's, what's really going on and to make thoughtful decisions. And that's asking a lot, but that's, that's how a democracy functions. Do you feel that today with all the uh, people, the citizens that are very overstimulated, they have cell phones, they're always connected to the Internet, there's always a TV. Sure. Do, you, do you think that that actually in one way helps to repress the individual and collective human shadow? Of, well, yeah. I mean, look, we're drowning in information. Um, you know, we know teenagers are processing thousands of, of texts and other email messages per week, thousands. It's not as if they didn't have enough traffic in their heads. We all have too much traffic in our heads. In 1802, Woodsworth wrote a poem call in which he says, the world is too much with us. Things were busy in 1802, for heaven's sakes. Uh, can, can you imagine the electronic era? And, and a 24-hour buzz. And, you know, what that's about is distraction. And the irony is, while it seemingly connects us, it also atomizes us. That is to say, it isolates us further. <clears throat> People don't talk to each other. They don't talk to themselves. They don't reflect to themselves. You know, you, you, you see people not being thoughtful. You see people consulting their, their phone to see what their latest messages are. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's their wonderful tools. I, I use my cell phone. After all, uh, I have an iPad. And at the same time, you realize the amount of traffic there can be a distraction from encountering oneself. It can be a distraction from intimacy with the other. It can be a, a, a distraction from any sort of deep reflection whatsoever. And in so doing, then I become a creature of responses to my environ, environmental stimuli. And so it produces addictive behaviors. You know, one of the fastest growing addictions is internet addiction, where people just get wired to the internet. It's been estimated as many as 20% of the population is really uh, addicted to the Internet. And, and when they can't have these tools, they, they suffer withdrawal of a substantial nature and addiction and then, I mean, uh, anxiety and then, then depression, all the classic symptoms of, of uh, withdrawal. Addiction. Um, I'd like to come back to one of the uh, parts you mentioned earlier about the, I guess, moral imperative to process your shadow or a person to process your shadow. Some people may say, well, you know, Anger, jealousy, infringing upon my neighbor. I don't necessarily view those as immoral. I view those as just part of life. To what are the moral guidelines, universal moral guidelines you feel are a necessity to adhere to 
in order to process the human shadow. And the second part to this question is when a person begins to process the shadow and begins to work upon themselves, what are some of the immediate benefits they will begin to see in their own personal life? Well, first of all, you're right. Those emotions are not moral issues themselves. It's how I become responsible for them is really where the moral task is. Um, Anger, sadness, anxiety, depression, uh, greed, jealousy, all of those are natural human emotions. All people have them, whether they're aware of them or not. The moral issue is to what degree am I aware of them? And secondly, to what degree uh, am I accountable for them and taking responsibility for them? And thirdly, to what degree do I do something about them? And and to the degree that I do not, they will still enter the world unconsciously through projections onto others, unconscious behaviors, or repressions, which show up in the body, show up in disturbing dreams, show up in anesthetizing um, addictions, and, and so forth. You know, these things never go away. They go somewhere. So the, the, the real issue is when I take these on, first of all, I become less a problem to you, <laughs> my neighbor. I become less a problem to my, prob- my, my partner. I become less a problem to my, my children. I become less a problem to my world because I've owned my own difficulty. I am my own worst enemy. And I have to be accountable for that person. But in doing that, I, I achieve what is what I call a more interesting life. Every day is a, a kind of drama for significant choices. Am I going to show up today in an authentic way? Uh, are, are the old codependencies going to take over? Are my old defensive mechanisms going to govern again today as they have in the past? Maybe they were protective in the past, but they... They, they, they lead me to a, you know, a kind of inauthentic life. Uh, am I going to try to be honest in, in my reactions with others? Am I going to be honest with myself? This contributes to a life of greater depth, of greater purpose, and of greater dignity. And in the long run, that, that kind of life has more meaning and is more purposeful. And you know the difference. It feels better. It feels different. It may be less conflictual. It may or may not be understood by others uh, than the old adaptive behaviors, but it's, it means that I'm accountable for my emotional reality. I'm very mindful of my behaviors and their impact on you or others, and yet I'm not living, uh, you know, in, as Sartre said, in bad faith, mauvais foi. I'm trying to live in good faith with myself and live in good faith with you and to to have good faith negotiations between us and and you know if if people set off with that kind of intentionality it's it's a better society you know uh you stop at the stop sign and i stop at the stop sign it's a better world because we've agreed to that contract now you can violate it if you so choose but it makes a a a more difficult world for both of us to live in Uh, so there's there's a legitimate claim of the social contract on each of us it's also true that at points in my life, I have to make tough decisions about what my path may be, and my path may, may lead me in another direction in life, and, and a direction I have to take, because then I have to decide between you know, the, the, the life that my own soul calls me to live and, and the life that my adaptations call me to live. 
And many times people, you know, uh, fail to answer that summons. And something in them sickens and dies, and that happens all the time. You know, people can die long before they die and, you know, and, and be psychologically and spiritually dead. So um, all of us have in the end, and I think all religions, all philosophical and spiritual traditions affirm this, in the end, no matter what causal factors we've had to deal with in our earlier life, we're all responsible for the life we've led. We, we're all responsible for the path we've chosen. And we all know it at some level. And yet we find a thousand reasons for avoiding it. And that's a huge shadow issue. Because as I mentioned early, earlier, that um, one of the biggest shadow issues is sometimes the magnitude of the life we have to, to address. That one of the biggest shadows is not so much... Um, you know, the problem of evil and our tendencies to, to step in those directions, it's, it's the summons to a larger life, to a larger journey. We find it intimidating. Jung said once, uh, we all walk in shoes too small for us. And that's a very homey metaphor. And what it really means is, um, you know, I need to step into larger shoes. You know, I have to step into being a larger person. Um, and, and we all know what that means to us intuitively. And the, the flight from that is the flight from our own lives. And something inside of us knows that. A lot on our program, we've often talked about um, you know, a, an economic, global economic collapse. And I'm curious to know, if we have a, an event where, let's say, for example, a financial system goes down and people are going to be forced to become either completely independent or dependent upon each other, do you feel that that could be a major bursting of the dam where the world collectively will be forced to address its shadow, forced to take on responsibility, and could ultimately bring about a new world, a new reality that is much different uh, fundamentally than this one that we currently have right now? Frankly, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. Um, in fact, I would fear the opposite. I, I think what that what might happen under those circumstances is, is once again those who have the resources would utilize them in very selfish ways and uh, create, as we in fact have already to some degree, bastions of privilege and sanctuaries of um, resources and leave the others to fend for themselves. Um, if anything, you might see even more widespread uh, breakdown of the social order and starvation and so forth than we currently have. You know, up to 25% to 30% of the world goes to bed hungry every night in our present world. Why would we think that would change if the economic system collapses? It probably would worsen, I'm, I'm sorry to say. Okay. And are you particularly hopeful about humanity at any point? Do you feel that humanity in any way, shape, or form is moving towards a more hopeful, more peaceful, more more loving, more compassionate world, or do you see the aspect of human nature kind of pulling upon or collapsing upon itself as we progress? I mean, do you feel that humanity is actually maturing in any way, shape, or form? Well, that's a complicated question. You know, it's, it's clear that human nature has not changed. What has changed is social structures, social values, and obviously technology. And, of course, with that technological change has, the, has, has changed the lethality of our weapons. It's one thing to move from a spear and a sword to thermonuclear weapons and bioweapons. Uh, that means one person's neurosis or psychosis can destroy vast populations. 
unlike any other time in history. On the other hand, it's not so long ago, and, and it still exists in this world, of course, where human slavery was sanctioned by, by law, and, and women and children were property. And unfortunately, it still is true in parts of this world. But in other parts of the world, those, those values have, have been radically you know, challenged, deconstructed, and, and so forth. We have a long way to go on those fronts. Uh, so there is certainly an, a march of, of humane values that, you know, I've seen in my short lifetime, relatively short in the face of history. Um, and at the same time, you know, there there are aspects of the human um, shadow that will continue to show up. You know, one of the most profound uh, analyses of that was actually written by uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky in Notes from Underground in 1863 which was a personal and a, and a societal analysis of the shadow. And he, he was looking at this sort of age of progress that was being widely touted at that time and the Crystal Palace in London that was the celebration of the new technology available in the first World's Fair. And he said, I can imagine in the next century the same technology will be used to kill more people more effectively. And, of course, he was, he was absolutely correct. And he also predicted a, a, a time when we would be living more and more according to abstract virtual worlds, you know. And so we actually talk about virtual reality today. And so, you know, Dostoevsky was very clear about the sort of recalcitrant nature of, of human psychopathology. And that will go with us. It's like, you know, as Jung said, the greater the light, the longer the shadow. And there's truth to that. So the answer is yes to both sides of your question. You know, we've made progress in some areas, and the shadow uh, follows with us everywhere we go. No, we, we can't walk down the street without our shadow following us. So you can always count on that. And um, I remember when <clears throat> the Internet was first coming out, someone said to me, you know, this is going to be marvelous because it'll it'll mean the collapse of dictatorships. They They won't be able to function in a world where people can independently get information from other parts of the world. And there's a certain truth to that, because dictatorships are not happy with alternative channels of information. And at the same time, we all know that the you know recruitment of hate groups and, and, and so forth has never been more successful. And, and the, uh, you know, the trolling that occurs and, and other forms of psychopathology on the Internet. So you take any instrument... <laughs> Uh, you know, airplanes can be for, you know, travel and, and for dropping bombs. Any any tool can serve a positive value or a negative value. So, again, it's, it's, it's subject to not only the human capacity for good, but the human shadow as well. So I think that that's not going to change, and we, we will have to be very realistic as we march into whatever future we have to be mindful about our capacity to uh, transform something very valuable into something destructive at the same time. Dr. James Hollis, I want to really thank you for a great interview. I really thought you brought a lot of uh, fascinating uh, aspects of the human shadow, great insight. You can learn more about Dr. James Hollis by going to his website at jameshollis.net. On there, he's got about 14 books. I suggest you check them out. Really well-written, great stuff. Dr. James Hollis, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Joining us now is Mr. Jeff Casper and Ms. Jonah Brindis. 
They are both spiritual counselors. They are both energy coaches and healers. You can learn more about them by going to their websites at transcodes.com and selfunification.com. And before we begin talking about the human shadow, Ms. Jonah Brindis, can you please talk about the site that you have called remoteprayer.com? Tell us, our audience a little bit more about that, please. Yes, Ryan. Thank you for having us on the show, Definitely. first of all. You're welcome. Um, remote Prayers, um, actually with an S, so it's remoteprayers.com, um, is a nonprofit organization that um, I've started like three years ago and that offers free group healings. So anyone who has a problem, who is in need, um, whether it be a physical, a mental, spiritual, or emotional um, challenge or, or problem at the moment, can sign up there for a monthly um, event where um, we, that is a group of 25 people from all over the world who are trained in energy work, um, where we perform a remote healing on them. But I want to add, um, even though this seems like, you know, very, um, um, how can you say, grandiose, um, we do, um, or part of those group healings is to encourage people to go into self-healing. Mm. So that, that's very important to understand. Um, we acknowledge the fact that um, our energy bodies um, consist of multiple aspects, which is the physical, the mental, the spiritual, and the emotional. And we know that um, you cannot heal one without addressing the other. So um, a big part of the healing is also empowering a person um, to connect with their sacred heart and to um, increase their self-healing. Okay, this abilities. is a two-part question. So, yeah, a that's two- a free group healing once a month. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, this is a two-part question for you about your organization. The first one is when you have a collective group of people offering prayers towards another does the amount of people make a difference in how fast that energy will manifest physically? And also, how can a person be more receptive to a prayers? Like say, for example, a person is very closed off or they have a sense of shame and they're feeling a lot of guilt or not or unworthy to be healed. How does that change the timeline or the degree from when prayers are manifested from intention? That's a good question, Ryan. Um, first of all, the amount of people actually working or performing the remote healing um, does not matter. Um, but what it can do, and we we work online, which means we, we communicate while we're doing the healing. So uh, what it does, it adds different camera positions. Mm-hmm. So to under you know when you understand what energetic perception is like, um, then you know that everyone has a different way of seeing things, and yet we all see the same thing. We just see it from a different um, perspective, and that can add to the detail, you know, for the reporting later. Um, as far as um, as far as the uh, 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 say intensity level uh, in which a person perceives it, and and you brought up a really good point there. What if somebody's really closed off? 
um, if somebody is really closed off, then probably the, the strongest healing they need is in inner connection. And that's the first step of the healing is always to um, create um, an energetic resonance that promotes inner connection. So we don't want to be seen as healers, if, if that makes sense. We want to see, we want to be seen as people who help other people to help themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and the last question I have, even though we're going to be going into the chat in a minute, is when you are offering prayer to someone, when you're offering love, when you're offering your peace, what are you essentially offering an energetic terms? What are you sending to them? Are you sending to them a frequency? Are you sending to them a, um, a bit of an encouragement for their soul to raise its vibration to the point where it could be more receptive to the prayer you are particularly sending? What exactly is happening, I guess, in a visual sense when a prayer is being sent from one person to another? I mean, the word prayer may be a little misleading because a prayer is something that we typically associate with, you know, some kind of question or demand or request. Um, what it actually is that we're sending is, first of all, as you already mentioned, um, the main concern is to raise a person's vibratory field. So that happens through the inner connection. And, I mean, we can't. I can't really go into the dynamics of... Uh, uh, and the mechanics of, of remote um, healings. But um, the main concern is to reach a person on their higher self level. And on that level, and, and this is um, maybe hard to imagine because we have like 20 people or 30 people in in such a group healing at the same time, we communicate with the higher self and send to that person exactly what that person needs. So it was central question when um, we work on a person's energy field is what it does he or she need and uh, the way this is perceived on the other end typically is through um, increased insights um, and maybe visions that they have um, but they begin to connect with that part in them that is out of balance with the part in them that needs to healing and then we can um, add healing frequencies to that particular problem. Um, you know, like uh, uh, do specific clearings, do connect, uh, specific connecting modalities, um, do specific um, modalities that help a person to integrate whatever it is that is out of balance. So that's individual in every case and for every single person. And when we do the group healings, we go through every single person and do that together. Okay. Excellent. And we can learn more about remote, the prayer group by going to remoteprayers.com. We are going to post a link on the front page of the Outer Limits website. So by the time you listen to this, you will likely see a link directly to the page. Thank you so much for your discussion about that. Now, talking about, we're going to hear talk about the human shadow, processing the shadow. We, uh, my understanding is that, on a metaphysical and a spiritual level, when thinking about the human shadow, what, how are you identify that? Are we talking about emotions that are negative that are gearing towards um, negativity? Are we talking about an aspect of the human soul that maybe has not been healed or maybe have experienced a trauma? 
from previous lifetimes, what exactly would you define as the human channel from both of your perspectives? All that. <laughs> no, it was all that. All yeah, that. we're done. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, it's um, the human shadow. It's it's a pretty broad term, but it's anything that anything that you hide, anything that makes you defensive, any aspect that could be mental, emotional. Typically, those are the two major aspects, and the ego as well that hides who you really are. So. There's a lot of power in the shadow um, because of what it creates within us. And you create coping mechanisms, emotional outbursts, stored emotions. Uh, you mentioned, I think, earlier in the, the broadcast, guilt, shame. Those are two big ones there, anger, fear, pride. There's tons of emotional aspects in there. Then you throw in the mental aspects, which can be all your defense mechanisms, your your denial, your repression, your uh, suppression, your ability to completely disregard everything and kind of dissociate. So there's lots of aspects of the shadow and every person, although it's unique, they're very similar also. Because most people's shadow, once you start digging into it, some pretty common components come up. The difficulty most, with the shadow is that we most most of us are not aware of those aspects. And so a major part mm -hmm. of the work in the beginning is to um, even just sort of be willing to look at things that we may unconsciously hide or um, that are hidden. I mean, Carl Jung described it as, you know, like the child that you lock up in the basement. Right. And that is kind of like, um, you know, where this is going. It's the, the parts of us, whether it be through trauma, whether it be inherited through karma um, or through, you know, the actions that you've done in your life, you know, that need redemption. But those parts of us that we cannot fully love, mm -hmm. that we cannot fully accept about ourselves. Okay. And as far as the human shadow goes, do you find that a person will be able to start to identify their shadow aspects by the types of individuals who come into their lives that would be considered an unpleasant experience. That would be considered a person that you probably would not want to sit down and have a, a conversation or coffee with. Is that a reflection of the inner energies from within a person, which is an indication of what their shadow could and likely is? Could be. Yeah, it's very possible that that could be um, an aspect that you see. You mean the attraction, like the unconscious no. attraction right. of people? Yeah. Resonance, the attraction. is that what you mean? Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, you can also, there's a couple ways that goes, and please interject if you want, but if a, if a man or woman that I meet makes me feel very uncomfortable, there could be a very good reason for that, that it could be that I see in them exactly what I don't like about myself. But I also know that sometimes, especially in my own case with Shadow, it was the people I chose to hang out with because they had similar traits that made me feel comfortable. So it can be a lot of different things and it depends on what level you're looking at. But yes, there can be very uncomfortable moments when you start to go into introspection, which is vital for psychological or spiritual work that you begin to realize, Oh man, this person's making me angry because they're very similar to me in some ways. It may be a slightly different expression, but what their pattern is, whatever that may be, control, anger, hate, whatever you realize you have in a, in a similar fashion. And that's what's causing the frustration within you. What if you are experiencing a relationship or an encounter with an individual who happens to have some negative qualities that you know you don't have in your heart? Let's say, for example, there's no reason for you to, to have a relationship with that, that person's not a reflection of shadow. Could you be feeling uncomfortable 
because they happen to carry a dark resonance? Is there a possibility that regardless of your vibrational frequency, that you're bound to come in contact with an individual of an extreme high or extreme low vibration, regardless of whether or not you're particularly carrying the energy within your heart or qualities that would draw the person in? Um, Ryan, if you don't mind, I would like to back up just a little bit because there are so many aspects to your question. Um, the, your previous question about the resonance or the attraction, you know, you know whether other another person can be a reflection of your shadow. That is case, That is the case for everything in your life, not just your shadow. Okay, so we can find a um, vibrational attraction with other people for various reasons, but for the most part, um, there is you know a reflection in what you experience um, that brings things back to you. When it comes to like identifying those aspects that are being reflected, um, it's very important not to go in there judgmentally. Mm -hmm. So shadow from our perspective is not something negative. Um, it can, if it be, if it's being acted out unreflectively, mm -hmm. it can be negative because it can be harmful to the person or to other people. It can be unhealthy or destructive. But shadow in its entirety is way more complex than that. Mm -hmm. We can carry um, shadow aspects with us all our lives without ever acting out on them, um, you know, ob on an obvious level. For an energy worker, those aspects are visible mm -hmm. because the energy is there whether you act out on it or not. Mm -hmm. So what what counseling and psychology regards is the behavioral aspect of it and that's you know usually where shadow aspects play out first on an energy work level um shadow aspects can play out in completely different areas how would that play from out from how you thought um yeah that's that's also a good question <laughs> it, because you have so many different kinds of Shadow. So if you if you um, move back to um, just the idea that a shadow aspect of yourself is something that you don't like about yourself or you have a hard time accepting about yourself, that can be anything. You know, that can be the way you say things, the way you do things, um, uh, the way you move. Um, you know, that could be anything. All right. And as you pointed out correctly, when you see this in other people, you know, what does that do to you? Well, it triggers it in you. And because it's a shadow aspect, per definition, something that you're trying to hide or mm -hmm. something that you can't really accept, um, you react negatively to the other person in, in, that, in that regard, to, in, in regards to that behavior or, or um, that resonance that you have there. Now, meeting other people in your life and possibly even repetitively can be a, can have a whole different reason than shadow. That can have a karmic reason, for instance, which very often plays into shadow, mm -hmm. which means here you have a karmic problem uh, and karmic not just in the sense of past life, karmic also in the sense of the choices and the um, thoughts and the feelings and the things that you acted out in this life. And you have a tie with a person who um, 
you know, may have been like a previous relationship partner or may resemble um, your mother and the issues that you have with your mother or your siblings or somebody else you knew at some point. And so you you can see you begin to have a very complex um, interaction of energies between people on multiple levels, not just shadow. Shadow is just one aspect of people. And as you said in the beginning, very often, if I would have to boil it down, it's a part of us that got violated or traumatized at some point, either in this life or in a previous life, that needs to be resolved, that needs to be loved again. Mm -hmm. So the whole process of shadow work um, from an energetic point of view is not just sort of, you know, that typical redemption and amendment process. That's a small part, you know, just to kind of um, release all those stored energies that are there. But it's actually the learning how to self-love, learning how to love these parts of you that you're trying to hide or that you're trying, um, you know, to cover up with other things or defense mechanisms, as Jeff said. And so that's the that's the main part of shadow work. And as you do shadow work, which is why it can be so life-changing for people, so many other things come up. Karmic relationships, karmic stuff comes up for you as you do shadow work. And you will begin to realize why you keep on having the same problems at the same time? As I, keeps, I, keeps, yep. Yep. I want to bring something to the attention of uh, the listeners out there. Because apparently we experience multiple paths, multiple lifetimes, and you don't know what you're going to be particularly coming into each lifetime, if you happen to be more receptive and more open to the healing energies and being able to heal your previous lifetimes and even the ones ahead – Maybe you want, you want to seize the opportunity right now to do it because you don't know what you're coming back as or what process you may learn. You may be completely shut off from being open to metaphysical and spirituality in any way, shape, or form. So if you're here now, you understand it now. Why not seize the opportunity right now to do as much healing as you possibly can, having the knowledge that you have? So I wanted to bring that to your attention. I also wanted to ask you both is that we look at Facebook or other social media and – People apparently go on there. A lot of people go on there, and they're putting out these enhanced versions of what they want the world uh, to be. Do you feel that Facebook and other social media in one way is a visual version of the human shadow? And also, if the human shadow is expressed artistically in any way, shape, or form, does that diminish its overall uh, strength or grip that it has on the person? Um, I think Facebook you know, you got to look at it from multiple levels and it's, it's a huge, huge device. I mean, who thought Facebook would be this massive by now, but, and it does express, I mean, you can go on anybody's Facebook page and see real quickly, you can learn a lot about a person. Actually, um, they actually have programs now when you do marketing, let's say you buy leads for certain things or you do like a, a resume searches. Uh, they actually have devices that go on people's Facebook page, LinkedIn page, Twitter page, all those devices, Pine Trust, whatever. And they can give you a grade of that person of how honest they are, how fair they are, you know, how much um, derogatory stuff's on their, their sites, et cetera. I mean, it's amazing what they, they should, the reports show on people. So it's being recorded. And if you look at it, it does express a massive level. I mean, 
we live in a society that's instantaneously fast paced. I mean, you know, it's insane. It's like insanity almost. And what happens in that is things get expressed faster. So yes, I would say Facebook shows a lot of people's shadows. Um, but so does the entire internet, you know? So <laughs> I think it's amazing though, that you have the ability to see those things because it also gives a person an opportunity to go through things much faster but the challenge and the danger with like Facebook and all those places is that the energy level on average of Facebook is, you know, as far as the conscious level goes, is pretty low. So the problem is when you get hooked into it, it can be extremely addictive and it can be challenging to get out of it. So, you know, I want to add something else to that. And that is, um, you know, the difference between shadow and false self. Um, you brought up, you know, the persona you know, that people present um, on Facebook. And um, in that regards, you're absolutely right. It, Facebook is a platform for our false self, all right? Jeff brought up the difficulty related to that, which is that it's recorded in the history of the Internet forever. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> but what it truly shows in our Western world is the the global shadow coming out, mm -hmm. which is linked to narcissism. So narcissism is the actual problem underneath all that, you know, because it gives not just a platform for presenting a false self. It also gives people a platform to get constant attention, to uh, make constant comments um, on other people. Um, it gives them a platform to bully people. Um, so all the things that are wrong or that are going unhealthy in our relationship are being shown in Facebook, mm -hmm. not just the false self. Well, and Facebook also takes away the filter. Uh, what I meant by the instantaneous speed is that when you have no time to think and you're in your emotions, you'll just attack. You'll just push out. You'll just write something down and not realize what you say. So you'll see these posts on Facebook and all these sites, you know, if you go to YouTube or whatever, and you can't believe what some of these people say. But it's so instantaneous, there's no time to think. They just do it. So that's showing those, like what, what Jonas said, it's showing the platform of that reactivity that's coming forward. And you mentioned the global shadow coming out. And just talking about this one thing, human shadow coming out for a person, global shadow coming out. Is there, if the global shadow comes out, what does that mean? And also, is is that a bad thing? Is it a bad thing for the global shadow to come out? Because of, if all these, uh, let's say, um, what appear to be negative aspects uh, coming out, does doesn't that mean we're going to have like total like chaos, like apocalyptic, Mad Max type scenario? If the global shadow does come out, what is the purpose of it coming out? And also, if it's out. How will we know for sure and what can we do to, let's say, um, embrace and bring light to that shadow? Well, first of all, shadow work in general is an opportunity for healing. Yes. Okay, so for the global shadow to come out, meaning that truth is being revealed, all the things that we are experiencing right now, you know, where all the things that we were made believe um, into are starting to crumble away is not a bad thing. You know, it's an opportunity for us as a society to raise our consciousness level. And, but and because it has to, the false self, you know, the false aspects, they have to be removed and healed first before we can build something 
greater, something better in that regards. Mm-hmm. So in general, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's just that the transitory process, you know, includes that things that we are, um, that we have attachments to that we want to believe in um, may result into inner and outer chaos for a while. And it may not either, you know, sometimes when they're, um, the intensities get really high, shifts could occur. A person can come in or energy can come in or there can be a shift. It just takes a, a higher vibratory rate to change that. So even though it may go into chaos and could go on the brink of massive issues of multiple kinds, it can also be switched back the other way. And what that comes down to typically um, is a vibratory rise, either in several people or one person, um, and that can change everything. So it doesn't have to go into that chaotic, um, apocalyptic sense of the thing. It might, but it doesn't have to. The best way to prevent from actually being affected from the global shadow um, creating chaos in your life is to work on your own shadow. Mm-hmm. The better you know your own shadow, the better you understand um, those aspects of yourself that, that are loaded with triggers and with with unresolved conflicts, right. the less you are affected by collective shadow aspects. And could I offer this, and please tell me if I'm going wrong with this, but as far as processing the shadow, if a person would like to begin to process their shadow, can they do it through contacting you and, and other energy healers? Can they do it through meditation? Yeah. Can they do it through reading psychology books? Can they do it through doing personality tests? Can they do it through walking? What are some of the ways that a person can chip away or, let's say, bring to love and to light their shadow? Well, there's you said a lot of them. You know, I think the vital part I'm not of sure it, about personality tests, so. Well, okay. it, it can be entertaining. <laughs> um, it depends on what you take. <laughs> there's lots of them out there. Um, you know, it's... The, the key thing, and I don't know if I said it or Yona said it, is introspection. Um, you have to be willing to go in and be reflective with yourself. Um, Yona and I would, and I'm not trying to speak for Yona, but, you know, it, if you don't have a heart connection, it can get really tough at some points. Um, and I'm not putting anything down on psychology or counseling, um, but if you bring in the spiritual side of things or a heart connection through meditation or prayer or some type of spiritual practice, it really can help when when those really strong emotional moments come forward, um, you know, and I, so I, I always talk about the key things would be besides introspection is connection work. If, if you don't have those two things, you're going to be pretty challenged. Then you have to find what works for you. There's hundreds of programs out there and there's hundreds of sites to go to, but you have to find the one that works for you. That's really important yeah. that a person finds what works for them. Like we offer like many different ways right. of doing shadow work. For instance, we offer, um, recordings of energy processes that, that people can do with themselves. We offer a coaching program where we do it with them together, like holding their hand. We do it in form of remote energy transmissions right. where um, a, a group of people comes together and does that and shares afterwards. So there's many different ways. Personally, um, I believe that anyone, like Jeff said, who understands the necessity to do introspection um, will sooner or later hit that point where he or she discovers some aspects that, that are really like out of whack, that are, yeah. that are dissonant with them. And that's when it's good to have a guide yep. 
This can be an astrologer. This can be a psychologist. This can be an energy worker. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter, you know, whom you choose as guide, whoever resonates with you. But if you want someone who can help you with dealing, like practically dealing, you said the word processing. I don't really like that so much because it sounds mental, but actually dealing with, and we probably should do some some examples of shadow here so you, that the listeners actually know what we're talking about. Um, dealing with shadow aspects as they come up, it's good to have someone who knows how to bring you into your heart connection. Right. And as you go along, the teachers usually change. As you change, sometimes you need different things. Like yeah. Different books, different ways. So it's the true spiritual secret will take that. Um, and I and I'd even say the true psychological secret would take that as a challenge for the rest of their life um, if they're really dedicated about it. Because the shadow is a process that honestly will last your lifetime. The shadow work will. And so will connection work. Excellent. Mr. Jeff Casper, Ms. Yona Brindis, want to thank you for that real great, real fascinating, thorough analysis on the shadow for talking about your prayer room before. To learn more about Mr. Jeff Casper, and Ms. Yona Brindis, please go to their websites at transcodes.com and selfunification.com and also remoteprayers.com. Thank you both so much. Thanks, Thank Ryan. you, Ryan. Thank you. All right. That is part one. And now we're going to talk about feminism. <laughs> you know, we did. Gonna be- you know, we did. We, we, I don't know. Do you have um, does the recording with the psychologist, does that have examples for shadow? Well, we had the karma thing in there and the karmic relationships. Like that was one. I mean, just level. saying, you know, um, for the for the, the roundness of the, uh, the show, like what is for the shadow? Like it didn't, it, we didn't bring up inner child. We didn't bring up. No, I mean, like, oh yeah. Do you know what? Do you want to go into that? Because if that's crucial, let's do I, it. I, I, mean, I, it I have no problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you can edit that in, like in the beginning. Yeah. Just ask us what absolutely shadow traits. Okay, and we'll do it. We'll just do three, two, one, and we'll say, um, let's talk about. <laughs> Sorry. You want us to talk about, about demons? <laughs> I don't know. I demons are they? Are they hanging around? Yeah. Are they seriously? Are they? Are they I mean, I don't know. No, no, we're not going to talk about that. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell. I don't like horror movies at all. I get scared when I when I hear about those things. I'm like, oh man. Don't worry about. It. We didn't talk about it. I just assume they're talking about my in-laws. Yeah, oh, there you go. God. <laughs> Usually a few there. <laughs> All right, so um, these are the – what would you call them? Shadow archetypes? Shadow traits. Shadow yeah. traits. Okay. Yeah. And three, two, one. Jeff and Yona, can you please talk about some of the typical shadow traits? All right, so going back to – um, the idea that uh, a shadow trait is a part of us that we keep locked up in darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, anything, it can be anything that we kind of despise, that we kind of don't like about ourselves, that we have a hard time accepting. Um, for instance, um, I used to hate the vo- the way my voice sounds, <laughs> just, you know, to share something personal. And that was uh, uh, something that I never... Uh, knew what that was um, uh, related to until I did shadow work. Um, But typical shadow trades are things like um, uh, unbound anger, explosive Mm -hmm. anger, um, disdain towards masculinity or femininity um, or both, um, disdain or um, resentments 
um, towards um, certain people that maybe remind us on, like, say, our family members or uh, people that we had uh, negative experiences with. But shadow traits can also be, like, very simple things like addictions mm-hmm. um, or they can be tied to addictions. It can be things that um, make us do or act out things that we do not fully uh, that we do that we don't really like about ourselves and yet we do it over and over again so right. we have so there's a part of us that we need to acknowledge but it doesn't really um it doesn't it, we don't really like it so it's that gray area of everyone uh, or within everyone that is very hard um to accept about ourselves most of the time it's wrapped around reactivity and not staying present in the moment. So it's either pulling us backwards in the past or worrying or projecting into the future. And that's usually the best way to tell you're typically in your shadow. And a lot of times it holds in control of multiple kinds, external control. Um, I just have them lost, but external control. And it can also add into multiple other emotions. And it's, um, it's just a very, broad topic but it's one that as you start to work in it into shadow traits you see a lot of similarities the hard part about them is the judgment so shadow is something that people typically associate with with negative okay and and this is something ryan that makes it so hard to talk about because depending on your social background on your ethnic background um your socioeconomical background some things you know to do are cool in this background they're absolutely unacceptable in that background so is there something like a measure of um you know badness of shadow no there isn't it's subjective and it's relative because if 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 it's okay where I'm coming from, you know, to yell at my kids or to hit my children, you know, when I'm angry at them, and if it's not okay for you, would you regard me doing this as a shadow trade? Would I regard this as a shadow trade? Um, that's the, the the main question here is how I see it about myself. So if I'm not okay um, with me exploding in anger or with me emotionally uh, manipulating others okay and i yet yet i find myself doing that then i would identify this as my shadow trait if like sexual shadow is also a very good example um because it has a lot to do with you know where i'm from and how i was raised you know if i was raised in a very um say strict religious sense then some activities like masturbation, for instance, are extremely sinful, extremely bad. So a person can create a huge shadow around masturbation. Whereas if you come from a society where it's totally okay, um, then you don't, you have absolutely no dissonance there and you don't feel bad about that. So shadow is a subjective um, aspect of yourself. But yes, there are also archetypes and that's something that we in our practice deal a lot with. And that is, for instance, when somebody has um, a shadow trait related to masculinity and femininity, for instance, there's archetypes of shadow traits within the human unconscious that um, 
play out and have a tendency to play out in people's psyches. And of course, also their spiritual and um, other energy bodies. And that is um, mostly related to things um, that are um, very deep in our human collective, such as, for instance, mother and father principles. So a common archetype of shadow, for instance, is the wrathful mother or the resentful provider or um, the king tyrant. Those are um, archetypes that have been around for as long as humanity has been around. That's when the loving mother, the giving mother turns into the fury. You know, that's when the protecting father turns into the tyrant. So on a deeper psychological level, um, those are um, repetitive patterns within shadow. And, and what, about what about the child? child. The child, the the child psyches, or I mean the architects? Yeah, yeah. Child, child psyches. Psyche. Sometimes, oh, you know, I'm hearing an echo in the background. Wait, is this a little better now? Sounds better. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Three, two, one. Uh, what about this aspect that a person says, "Well, you know, to heal your shadow, you've got to hear that that little child within you." How does it? This little who's this little child typically? And how can this uh, child within you be an instigator or, or creator of so much out, external chaos? Well, you're talking about what most people refer to the inner child. And the inner child is an aspect, or it can be multiple, usually has multiple aspects of our psyche. And that's what we, what Yona talked about before. And you mentioned, Ryan, about the tra- traumatized parts of us that sometimes get blocked or hidden. Um, many of us have seen someone who at age 45 or 55 act like a five-year-old, including ourselves typically. Those are usually, or can be very easily part of our inner child coming forward. Uh, some people are so far to inner childs, they actually look like a five-year-old when they're in their elderly years. You know, it's, it's amazing to see. And those inner child aspects, they're the parts of us that got left behind usually. And what happens is, as you start to do shadow work and introspection, you will typically, especially if you're visual, but also in feeling, you'll have these aspects come forward to you. And they'll come forward into your, into your, um, into your psyche or into your um, life. They'll come in form of, of um, inner statements. They'll come in the form of um, visions. Sorry, we got a dog crying here. Hold on. Taxi. Sorry, Ryan. Ah, I should kill a puppy. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a hurt ear, so come here. Oh, poor yeah. little puppy. Sorry, I'll start over. I apologize. Oh, wait. Sorry. Yeah. Dogs are awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's okay. But the, the inner child, they'll come forward, and typically what happens in our inner child is there are parts of us that are screaming to come forward. And part of the work of shadow at some point comes into reconciling with those lost parts of ourselves. And that's where you're the lost child or what you typically try to do is, and I think, and please correct me if I can't remember right now, the Jungian archetype, the, wonder, the, the star child, the wonder child, what is it called? Mm-hmm. The wonder child. You'll start to work to let that innocence of the child come forward. And that's the key thing there. That's why it's so important to have a good guide when you do shadow work. Because um, when you hit that inner child aspect, um, then it's very um, difficult to differentiate between shadow and a um, defensive mechanism that developed out of those, those wounded parts of yourself. And very often, Ryan, I mean, it's like 90% um, of our experience is that our shadow traits are seeming 
shadow traits are linked to our inner child. So when a person does inner child work, a lot of these um, traits that looked like shadow traits in the beginning actually resolve themselves and really aren't any shadow traits anymore. Can your if, if you don't resolve your shadow, you don't get any attention, can that be a primary reason why you get forced to reincarnate or have to come back in order to fully develop your physical your, your evolution or complete your evolution? I mean, shadow traits, you know, they add to your karma, if you will. Okay, so you said something earlier where you said, um, you know, if you resonate with this information, if you if you feel, you know, that there is something in you that wants to come forward, why not seize the opportunity? I think that is the marker. So if you feel that there is something in you that needs to be resolved, then that's definitely a prompting, um, you know, for your evolution to take place if someone is totally okay with like say killing people or you know acting out their shadow uncontrollably um it's unlikely that this person will be attracted to shadow work and they'll probably repeat yeah in some form or whatever or. that that karma entails mm-hmm. you know it, it it's, it's not their time yet to, to go past that. yes so that's also very important to understand when you look at it you know, non-judgmentally, is that everybody has their own timeline, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you think about it, if you would send 7 billion people through shadow work all at once, (laughs) um, that would be quite... (laughs) um, You know, speaking of the shadow work all at once, I'm always curious to know that apparently, according to some of the people we've had on our show previously, The Economist, that the world stands on this global fiat currency meltdown... And uh, according to one of our experts we've had on, Chris Duane, he says it's going to be the largest event in human history. And I'm curious to know um, if that is something that has ever come across any of your feelings or meditations that an event like that would ultimately force humanity's shadow to come out all at once. It would force people to deal with reality without this kind of uh, web or will be over their eyes in the form of an infinite currency base, which allows people to live disproportionately beyond their means and disproportionate to the resources that are available to them on Earth. Well, I mean, there's other um, events that could lead to the exact same scenario. Um, Financial breakdown would be one of them. And um, to a certain extent, I agree to what you say. Any type of breakdown of our system as it is right now would lead to a forced shadow work process, although um, it's unlikely that people will do it in a healing way. They will most likely just start acting it out. So the best way to prevent yourself or to, to protect yourself from you know other people acting out their shadow is to keep your side of the fence clean. Mm-hmm. And you remove yourself from certain parts, you know, because it's when it comes when the proverbial crap hits the fan, if that would happen in some shape or form, and it doesn't matter what form it comes in, um, in small or large doses, people go to survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, um, nine times out of ten, you don't really go high conscious, you go low conscious because you're into protection, you're into food, you're into safety of my family, my children, uh, my dogs, whatever. And that 
immediately eliminates a lot of choices you have over um, a level of courage or higher consciousness. You go into typically basal emotions and defense structures. So that's if that occurs on a massive level, well, a lot of things will take care of themselves. Wow. Yeah. Let's <laughs> hope that's why you want to work in your shadow right now. If you work on your shadow right now, then it's um, easier for you to see other people's shadows. Yes. And that means that it's easier for you to do the right actions at the right time. Yeah. And you'll know if something isn't right for you. That's what you, that's what you yeah. mean by that. Yeah. Okay. All right. That was really great. Now we completed the shadow aspect. You know what? This is just a question. I, didn't, I mean, I don't know that this is too far out that even bring on the regular show, but is there any possibility, I'm just from both your peers, that a person could contact you, uh, come in contact with you that doesn't have any of the shadow qualities that you particularly have, but is seeking something, seeking to like get a heads up or jump their vibration by coming in contact with you? Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. like 99% Seven of the time. people. Yeah. That's why they contact us. Yeah. They don't. They a lot of people that come to us have already done a little bit of their homework, right? And so um, they come to us and say, "Okay, look, I've been doing meditation for like twenty years, and I haven't really moved anywhere." Or um, <clears throat> now there is a growing number of people now that experience some kind of spontaneous awakening and, and suddenly feel attracted um, to this kind of work. But uh, still, the majority of people. People that come to us, they want to learn how to raise their vibration, how to do it for real, not like get enlightened in five days. And the old saying, the old saying, you know, if, if the if the student is ready, the teacher appears. That's, and I'm not saying that we're the teachers or whatever, but that's that's very true. If you begin to seek something and you're not sure what it is, but you start to seek and you think it's this, things will start to come into your path. That's very common because that's what your attention's on. And once your attention's on it, and you have the intention to do it, it will start to appear. The biggest problem here, Ryan, if I may may make a comment, um, just sort of on your on your uh, listener, on your listeners or the group of people that that feel attracted to this right now. The biggest problem is that the mass media, you know, has already picked up on that as a huge business. So you have all these teachers and quotation marks that run around and do really expensive workshops, you know, with getting enlightened in five days, because people like shortcuts. You know, people like, um, you know, the idea of instant gratification. And so the problem with that is that a lot of also the new age and a lot of um, the uh, guides that are out there um, actually send people to the wrong exits, you know, as, as Stuart called it. You know, they, they, they catch them on their desire to raise their vibration but um, they actually um, just sort of perpetuate the inner seeking. So a good guide will always help a person to find the answers within themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and not to get hooked onto a onto them as a guide, you know, so that they're dependent and just change their externalization from one thing to the next. That was just, you know, a common, like, between us, you know, because that the people that come to us are usually sincere. There's a day and they're willing to do the work. And that is um, one of the greatest honors and privileges that I personally um, experience in working with people is the trust and openness and the willingness that they bring in to really work stuff like shadow, inner child, 
and um, they typically experience um, a type of healing that they have never expected, which is the type of healing that comes from within, from within themselves. Miss Jonah Brindis, Mr. Jeff Casper, thank you so much. You're very thorough, um, you know, very comprehensive analysis of the feminine energies. It was great, really great uh, discussion. Thank you so much. To learn more about Mr. Jeff Casper and Ms. Yoda Brindis, please go to their websites, transcodes.com and selfunification.com. Oh, in addition to remoteprayers.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guest, Dr. James Hollis. Ms. Jonah Brindis and Mr. Jeff Casper. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.